Well, tonight we continue through the book of Daniel. We now reach Daniel chapter 5. And let's read verses 1 through 6 there of this chapter. It talks about Belshazzar. We have a new king now here in Babylon. And it says there, Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. And we're going to stop right there because uh, we're going to see more of a climax to what is happening here and what this means for the king. At this time, Babylon had been a great ruling empire. And what it had done, it had taken God's people in captivity by means of God's punishment upon his people just simply because they chose not to obey him. They had conquered other nations surrounding its borders and the, the city of Babylon itself was indestructible. It was completely surrounded by a wall that was 350 feet high. But not only that, but the wall itself was 85 feet thick. And the, and the, the, the Euphrates River, it ran right through the middle of the city but the way they had it set up was at the base of the walls ran right along the surface of the river. And because of this, to even enhance the security there in the city, they even built a gate right underneath the city wall within the river so that no one would even think about swimming underneath the wall because if they did, they couldn't go anywhere because they would meet that gate and they couldn't get past that. And so it was a city which no man could penetrate, and it was a nation that no man could stop. But you know, even though it was a powerful nation that had been for many years, truth of the matter is it would not be that way for very long. You know, back in chapter 2, where Daniel gave the interpretation to Nebuchadnezzar's first dream, he told them at that time that his kingdom would fall to another empire, that it was going to happen. He didn't know when it would happen, but it was promised that, promised that it would. And later on in this book of Daniel, we also find the same teachings to, to uh, various visions that Daniel has. And so the question remains, when will Babylon fall? And how will it fall? And who will bring it to destruction? Well, our answer lies here in the context of chapter 5 of the book of Daniel. Now, as this chapter opens, as we read already, we are introduced to a new ruler in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar, he had been the ruler in the previous part of this book, but he is now gone. And now we see a man named Belshazzar, who is now king. 
Well, who is this man Belshazzar? Well, just briefly about this man, there is really debate that is circled about who, this, who his father was and his relationship to Nebuchadnezzar because verse 2 does state, along with four other verses throughout this chapter, it states that Nebuchadnezzar was his father. But further evidence has shown that Nebuchadnezzar was not really his immediate father. And there have been clay tablets that have been found and they have been discovered that refer to Belshazzar as the son of Nabonidus and not Nebuchadnezzar. And this would thus make Belshazzar the actual grandson of Nebuchadnezzar since Nabonidus was married to Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. And in fact, it was quite common in Bible days for a grandson or even a great-grandson to refer to some of his, his lineage within his family as being his father. And this is, this is quite common in the New Testament, for example, because the Jews, even though the Jews lived 2,000 years prior to Abraham, they still called Abraham their father, even though we know for a fact that Abraham was not their, immediately, their immediate father, but yet he was part of the lineage. And so this type of wording is quite common back then. Now there's one other thing to make mention while we talk about Belshazzar and his family, Nabonidus. Nabonidus, he reigned as king for Babylon for a total of 17 years. And towards the end of his reign as king, he, he then appointed Belshazzar co-ruler of Babylon. So we had two kings reigning at the same time in Babylon. And so keep that in mind because it makes sense what Belshazzar offers later on in this chapter. He offers if anyone to, were to interpret the writing that was written upon the wall that he would make him the, th the third ruler in the kingdom. And so Belshazzar was ruler number two. His father was ruler number one. And whoever made that interpretation would be ruler number three. Now, so this is what we know about him and his rank in the kingdom. But there's something going on here in Babylon this night. <clears throat> and apparently his father is not here. And Belshazzar is said to have a huge feast for a thousand of his men. And it was by means of showing off and proclaiming how proud his position was within the kingdom... And it was really, when you look at it and when you study it, it turned out to be one big drunken party is what it ended up being. Now, he went too far this night because during this party, he did the unthinkable. As if he didn't have enough during this night, he had an idea. And, he, and, and, and so he remembered the vessels made of, of gold and silver, which had been taken from Jerusalem, which was down there in Judah, when they were taken into Babylonian captivity. But you know, these vessels were no ordinary vessels that he was calling for. These vessels, they had been used in the temple of the Lord while there in Jerusalem. And so he said, let's use those vessels to celebrate and drink wine from. And that's exactly what they did. And if we make a comparison, it's as if someone were to take the emblems that we use on the Lord's Supper and to take those and to use them for some other means other than using them for the Lord's Supper alone. And that's exactly what happened on this night. And even 
uh, uh, he, and, uh, but if that wasn't bad enough, they even profaned these holy vessels even further by dedicating these to their false gods. And this is what verse 4 says. He said, They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. And that was a horrible thing that happened that night, that they would simply disregard the emblems of the Lord like that and just defile them. Well, God knew what was going on. And he knew what they were using. And buddy, he got fed up with it. He got fed up with it to the point that it says in verse 5, In the same hour the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. And just, you know, you're just, just being in, in the midst of this party, if you could just put your shoes there for just a minute. And, you know, you're carrying on, socializing, do whatever that's going on there that night. And all of a sudden, you see this appearance just out of nowhere just appear. This hand doesn't have an arm, it's just a hand. And just writing this on the wall. And the thing about that, you don't even know what it says. Well, this got everyone's attention. And it got the king's attention because it says in verse 6, Then the king's countenance changed, and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loosened, and his knees knocked against each other. Now here is a man. Here is a man which was so full of pride here a minute ago, and now we find him completely terrified after seeing what had just happened with the writing on the wall. And I, yeah, I don't know. I just love how descriptive the Bible is here. I don't know if it amuses you as it amuses me here, but I don't know if you've ever seen those old cartoons where maybe one of the characters would get so afraid that all of a sudden his knees would start shaking against each other. Well, that's what I picture when the Bible describes as, as his knees knocking against each other. That's how terrified this king was after seeing what had happened. And you talk about breaking up a party. Well, this party was broken up because of this. And so, he just in a panic now. And so he gave the command to bring all the wise men in right away so that they would be able to give the interpretation of this writing upon the wall. And he was so desperate to know what had been written that he says at the end of verse number 7, he says, whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation, there's going to be reward. And he said the reward is he shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. And so after this council was given, after this decree, uh, decree was uh, proclaimed, all of his wise men were brought in to see the writing on the wall, but there was a problem. Of all these wise men that were brought in, nobody had any idea to give the interpretation or to even read what he even said. Now you thought Belshazzar was troubled before. Well, verse 9 says that he is greatly troubled now because no one could tell him what it meant. Well, you know, word got around to the queen about what had happened. And it is quite obvious that she had not been there to celebrate with the king. I don't know where she was, but she heard what had happened and she realized that no one could read the writing. But she comes to Belshazzar and, you know, she has some words of hope for him. And I want to read what it says as we pick up at the latter part of verse 10. 
because it says the queen spoke saying O king live forever do not let your thoughts trouble you nor let your countenance change there is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy god and the day and in the days of your father light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him and king nebuchadnezzar your father your father the king made him chief of the magicians astrologers chaldeans and soothsayers inasmuch as an excellent spirit knowledge understanding interpreting dreams solving riddles and explaining enigmas were found in this daniel whom the king called belteshazzar now let daniel be called and he will give the interpretation now she had obviously known about daniel's reputation and she knew what he can do and she knew why he can do what he can do and since daniel did not fail in the past she thought well surely all these other men failed surely daniel would be able to give us the interpretation because he's done so in the past and so belshazzar was all for this i mean what did he have to lose anyway might as well give it a shot he's pretty desperate here and so that's why he well that's what he does he calls for daniel and daniel was brought in before the king and the king said to him as I may paraphrase here, you know, I've heard about you. I've heard that you have the Spirit of God in you, and I've heard that you have great understanding, and you've got great wisdom too. And then he said, now here's the situation. I have brought all these wise men before me in order that they may read to me what the writing on the wall means, and they have all failed in doing so. And now I've heard that you can give interpretations, and, and I'll tell you what. If you give the interpretation of what's written here on this wall, I'll give you something. I will offer you something great. I will clothe you with royal purple, give you a gold chain around your neck, and I'll tell you what. I'll even make you third under me as ruler in this kingdom. Well, Daniel st stood there, and he, he heard all this that was offered to him. And, of course, it was quite an, an, an offer but it's interesting what Daniel replied back to him. Because it says in verse 17, that Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself, and give your rewards to another. Yet, I will read the writing to the king, and make known to him the interpretation. And this is, I, I don't know if it strikes you as it strikes me, but it's, it's a pretty noble thing that Daniel does here, because he doesn't, he's not looking for, for, for possessions here. He's not looking for power. He could have easily gained it, but he's not looking for that. That's not his course while they're in Babylon. He, he, he wasn't going to tell him the, 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 own, the, the interpretation just for his own personal gain here. And he told him he was going to tell him, and he could just, you know, if he wants to reward someone, reward someone else. But he's going to be able to give the interpretation for free. And what a difference this is between Daniel and some of this world who proclaim God's word today. You know, we, we see from time to time, you know, televangelists, they do this. I mean, and others in denominations have it a goal to preach in order that they may gain possessions. It, for some, it's just a business to them. It's an easy living for them. And some would even uh, use a means of uh, proclaiming God's word in order for power and these are all the wrong motives to proclaim god's word 
You know, when we proclaim the truth from the word of God to some person or some group of people, we should never have the motive of trying to earn something from that. God's word should be freely proclaimed to anybody, and we should feel privileged enough to even have the opportunity to tell someone about how they could be saved through the glorious gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, people should be put to shame for having the wrong motives of proclaiming the gospel of Christ. And certainly, God knows their motives, and they will be held accountable for their intentions. Well, getting back to Daniel, he now tells Belshazzar the reason for the writing on the wall. He begins by telling of what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. And so he says in verse 18, O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men, his heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was like the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men, and appoints over it whomever he chooses. Now, we discussed this very thing this morning, of what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. And really, this is something that happened 20 years. There's about a 20-year time span between chapter 4 and now chapter 5. And surely Belshazzar knew of what happened to his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, according to what he says in verse number 22. And we all know, you know, God had humbled him due to his pride. But the question is this, why in the world would Daniel call to mind of his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar when they're trying to discuss the, the, the writing and the interpretation of the writing. I mean, that is high priority here. Why bring in Nebuchadnezzar at this point? Well, the reason's found in verse number 22 here. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this, and you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you. And you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone. Which do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways. You have not glorified. Now, he makes a strong, strong contrast here between the false gods and the almighty God here. Daniel told him that he praised these gods by using these holy vessels from the Lord's house. And the fact of the matter was, the gods whom he was praising, they didn't even see, they didn't even hear, they didn't even know they, they were being praised. You know why? It's because they didn't exist. That's why. It was all in vain. But here's a striking contrast. The very one whom they were not praising was the one who was in control of all things. He even held Belshazzar breath in his own hand. 
And since he had done this during this party on this very evening, God wrote, the, uh, God wrote on the wall, and here's the meaning of that writing. As Daniel goes on to give the interpretation, he says there in verse number 25, and this is the inscription that is written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Yepharsin. This is the interpretation of each word. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. And so these words here hold huge meaning, and the key meaning to each word is as follows. He gives the word mene, and, it's, and, and it basically means numbered. And tekel basically means weighed. And then when you get to Perez, or this is the Perez is actually the singular form of the word of Eupharsin here, and it means division. And so the message is this, to put it all into one lump sum. Belshazzar's kingdom had been numbered for destruction, and the king himself is weighed, and he is found wanting, and the kingdom is to be taken away, and it is to be given to another outside force, another outside nation. And after giving the interpretation, the king did just as he said. He would. He gave the command to clothe Daniel in royal purple. He gave him a golden chain that was hung around his neck. And Daniel was then appointed third rank in the whole kingdom. Well, as we know, Daniel didn't want this. But Daniel just went along with it. It meant nothing to him. But here's the irony, though. He was, Daniel was appointed third in the rule of nothing. You know why? Well, while all this was going on that night, while Belshazzar was having this big drunken party, there was something going on outside the city walls. Something huge going on. The Medes and the Persians had been camped out there for some time. And they had their mindset to conquer Babylon. And well, this did not bring any fear to Belshazzar or the people or, the, or even Babylon because they thought their walls could keep anybody out. And so they just didn't pay much mind to them. After all, what harm could they do to us if they can't even get through our wall? But what they didn't know was that the Medes and the Persians had been working out a plan for some time. You see... You remember the, the Euphrates River, which had flowed right underneath the walls of that city, and they thought this. They thought if we could just get in that way somehow. And so what they did was this, by building upon that idea. They went upstream for quite some distance, and they diverted the water in order to drain the flow of water down into the riverbed of Babylon. And when the flow of water had been stopped into Babylon then this then gave them the chance to march right in underneath that city through that riverbed and to conquer the city. And so this was their plan. So while Belshazzar was having this big party, sure enough, here they came. Here they came marching down that riverbed and they made their way underneath that wall. Now remember, they had added security underneath that wall. They had gates set up so just in case anyone tried to swim underneath uh, their way into the city, that they would be stopped. But there was something that's very interesting, providential, that happened that night. As they made their way underneath that wall, 
someone had let the gates open and the Medes and the Persians marched right in the city and they overtook it. And you know, this is something that had been prophesied 175 years before it happened on this night. In fact, Isaiah wrote about Cyrus in Isaiah chapter 45, verses 1 through 5, and told how he was anointed or he was chosen for a special purpose to subdue nations, to loose the armor of kings, and the Lord would be behind him in this and would make sure that the gates would not be shut when he does this. And so this is all part of the Lord's work here. He used a heathen nation to bring Babylon to a fall. You know, nobody thought it could happen, not even the king himself, but it did happen this night. And it happened in the year 538 B.C., the fall of Babylon. Well, here's what happened to Belshazzar because of this. In verse number 30, that very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was slain. And as a result of the king's death, the very next verse says, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. And thus ends the reign of a powerful empire. God said he would do it, and he carried out his plan by proving he truly does rule in the kingdoms of men, and rises kings up and takes them down by his mighty power. But what can we learn from this last night here in Babylon? Well, I believe we can remember three things or learn three things from this. Number one, you will remember how Belshazzar used the holy vessels from the Lord's house and defiled them by drinking wine and praising other gods. Well, you know, the Bible teaches along the same line to make an application here that we are, we are vessels as well. And those of us who have obeyed the gospel and are in his kingdom are considered vessels in the Lord's house. I mean, consider what Paul wrote in, in what he wrote to Timothy because he wrote 2 Timothy chapter 2. And we'll read there verse 15 and skip to verse 19. 2 Timothy 2 verse 15 says, Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And then verse 19 says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore... If anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. You see here, Paul is telling Timothy that if you are going to be a vessel in the, Lord's house, in the Lord's house, you ought to be a vessel that is pure. You ought to be a vessel that's holy. You ought to be a vessel that's without iniquity. And we... And so we are vessels that should always seek God's ways and do them at all times. And we should be working instruments for the Lord. After all, Paul stated in verse 21 that we should be a, a, a vessel that is useful for the master. And this requires action, and it requires effort, and it requires work. And it does not mean that we are idle in our Christian lives. I mean, what kind of a vessel are we in the Lord's house if we simply don't do anything about it? If we don't know our Bible, if we don't come to worship as often as we should, 
How can we be useful for the master if we're idols in these things, in, in these areas, and in other areas as well? We have to be useful for the master. And remember how Belshazzar defiled the vessels? Well, we too can do the same by defiling ourselves, by allowing sin into our lives, and simply not doing anything about it, and just letting it dwell there. You know, the Lord was fed up with Belshazzar in this very act. And I'm afraid he'll be fed up with this too if we're not careful and if we choose not to repent of what we allow within our lives. And so let us strive to be vessels which are Christ-like in all that we do and make the most of our time in praise and admiration to him who has even allowed us to be his children. But secondly, just as we learned this morning from Nebuchadnezzar, we find that pride goes before a fall, and it is no different with Belshazzar. He, too, thought everything was going great. He was king of a great empire, and he thought things were going to last for a long time. And so what more reason to celebrate and to puff himself up by hosting a huge party for himself? But the fact of the matter is, as we saw already, the Lord called him on that night, and his reign would end, and his kingdom would fall, and certainly, again, the message is proclaimed that certainly pride goes before a fall, just as it did his grandfather. But then thirdly, and lastly, as was part of the writing on the wall, the king was weighed in the balances, and the sad thing is he was found wanting. You know, Belshazzar is not the only one who will be weighed in the balances. Because we too will be weighed by our life in the balances of God's word at the judgment to come. And this is how, listen how it's going to be in 2 Corinthians 5 and 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And then Romans 14 and 12. So then each of us shall give account of himself. To God. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.